0: Hello, hello. All right. The technology is working. Okay. Uh, before we get started, um, I just want to take a moment and encourage people who here who may have lost a loved one over this year, over the last few years. Uh, this morning uh, my mom passed away in um, January 9th 2021 and uh, you know come to the holidays and I always just still miss her and I had a good cry session this morning it made my head feel a little foggy how many have ever cried so hard and then like your nose starts running and your brain starts feeling weird yeah so that's kind of what I feel like right now um, but if you've lost a loved one, um, I just want to read you a couple verses here. It says in Psalm thirty four eighteen, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He heals in uh, Psalm 147, 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So if you're feeling sad, you're missing this person, you're feeling brokenhearted, know that the Lord is near to you, that he loves you, that he will take care of you. He has them, if they, if they knew Jesus, that he, he is with you through every single moment, and you can rely on him, and don't be afraid to also cry if you need to, so, but the Lord is near. All right, so today we are going to continue with the Sermon on the Mount, and um, I'm excited for this message. Uh, we're going to talk about Matthew 5, 38 through 42, which we will read in a second, Um, this series for me has, uh, at the beginning of this year, the Lord told me, you know, the word prepare. And I feel like he's always working on us to prepare us for things that are coming in our lives, uh, personally and to the world. And I feel like this message right now is one of those messages. Uh, this series is one of those messages where we're going back to the foundation of, uh, Jesus's most, you know, powerful sermon that, he's, that he gives in the scriptures, the Sermon on the Mount, and this is an opportunity for us to just really uh, uh, settle into the foundation of Christ, into his teaching, into what he, how he wants us to live on this earth right now, and to prepare us for things that are coming, and so we'll talk a little bit more about that. But today we are going to talk about Matthew 5, 38 through 42, and uh, turning the other cheek. How many like that passage? Yes, okay, so okay, let's read it. I'm going to read it in the new King James Version, then I'm going to read it in the amplified version, and then we'll get going so matthew five thirty eight through forty two it says, "You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic." Let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Okay. Amplified version. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Punishment that fits the offense. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person who insults you or violates your rights. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek... Turn the other toward him also. Simply ignore insignificant insults or trivial losses and do not bother to re- retaliate. Maintain your dignity, your self-respect, your poise. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, your shirt, let, uh, let him have your coat also, for the Lord repays the offender. And whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. All right. So how many of you have ever performed the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth in your life in some way? Okay. How many of you have enjoyed it? <laughs> okay. A little bit. Uh, there was a time that, you know, there was a time that I didn't enjoy it. Uh, most times. Um, when I lived in New Jersey, I was uh, driving. I always have driving stories, it seems like. that's I think we all do. Who has a driving story? Anybody? Yeah. I'm driving home late, probably around like midnight from some friend's houses, from a friend's house that we were just hanging out, and I'm tired, and I want to get home, and sure enough, you know, at midnight, there shouldn't be anybody on, anybody on the road, but there was, and I pull onto this main road, and... I'm behind a guy, and we're coming up to another guy on the left. So I'm in the right lane, he's in the left, there's another guy in the left lane. Uh, He's, um, the guy in the right lane's going pretty good speed, so I'm like following him. All of a sudden, he decides to slow down a little bit. So that way, they're like, even with, he's even with the other car. I'm like, oh man. So I get into the left lane, and... The guy slows down enough that he's going slower than the guy in the left lane. So I get in the left lane so I can pass the guy in the right lane. Well, then he speeds up. So that way, I can't pass him. And he does this multiple times. And I get really mad. (laughs) Really mad. And um, I get in the right lane, and I just get on his bumper. And I am honking my horn and flashing my lights... He starts speeding up. The guy in the left lane has gone. And I'm just flying. Just like, what am I going to do? I'm going to show, I'm going to give him back what he's given to me, right? And I'm just going. I'm so angry. And all of a sudden, I look in my rearview mirror. And who knows what's back there? Cop car, the lights. And I'm like, no way. I'm like, he's going to pull the guy over in front of me, you know, because he's going faster than me. I'm trying to keep up with him no, he pulls me over, and he gives me a ticket. Thank the Lord it was only for tailgating and not for, we were doing well over the speed limit. I could have lost my license that night, I'm sure of it, Um, but it didn't pay off. The The eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, it cost me everything, like my joy, my peace, and my money, and it was awful, and so that's one of my eye for an eye, tooth for tooth stories that I'm not... Proud of, I shouldn't be proud of any of them, but uh, that one just really, that one really hurts, and I always remember that one. Um, but when, I, when it comes to this passage of scripture, I believe most of us, when we read it, we kind of wince at it, right? It's uh, something that costs us when we read it, um, and it doesn't feel good in the moment when you think about turning the other cheek. Um, it doesn't feel good to get insulted, it doesn't feel good to be slapped or taken advantage of, and it's hard to respond with love right? We've all been there. We also went it because um, there has to be a line, right? Like, there has to be a line that's not supposed to be crossed, and a point where enough is enough, and surely we aren't called to just let people do whatever they please to us, right? So, I remember watching a kid, or watching a show as a young man, and it was like a faith-based kids show, and, you know, the kid's are getting bullied and the, the bully punches him in the face and um, he falls down and then he gets back up and he stands up to the bully and turns the other cheek and as a kid I'm like that's stupid <laughs> like why why that doesn't make sense and and so there has to be a line um, because we're all hardwired for justice right we all want justice I mean, that's why the social justice movement is so enormous in the world, and and it's also so confusing. But we all want justice because we were created to want it. We were created in the image of God. God is love, and because he is love, he is just. And he also wants justice. And so we want it as well. And um, so the question is, like, when is it right to seek justice? Are we allowed to have boundaries Um, is there are there lines that shouldn't be crossed and I found that this passage of scripture can be pretty confusing at times when you read it and misinterpreted easily if we aren't diligent to dig into it so today that's what we're going to kind of do is dig into the to this this passage of scripture and we're going to answer some questions Um, what is Jesus not saying I'm going to answer that question first Uh, what is Jesus saying Um, how do we live a life of radical love over revenge and spite. And lastly, I want to talk about why this is so important and give you a little personal situation or story that's happening in my heart regarding um, this very topic. So um, what is Jesus not saying in these verses? He's not saying that you're supposed to be a doormat. Okay? He's not calling us as Christians to be doormats, as followers of Jesus. He's not calling us to remove boundaries in our life. That we should let people abuse us, hurt us, uh, violently hurt us. Um, The slap in the face picture in this passage often gets misinterpreted. Um, You know, the slap in the face isn't an egregious, violent act. It's a slap in the face, meaning more so a verbal insult that feels like a slap in the face. Um, How many of you guys talking to the men, how many of you would much rather get punched in the face by somebody than slapped by another guy? Anybody? There's just something about a slap that just is degrading, right? And, and that's what Jesus is talking about. Those deep insults that feel like just very degrading and, um, and, 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 and make you feel awful. But he's not saying that you can't defend yourself and others. Um, he's not saying that justice doesn't need to be served He's not saying that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is a wrong consequence for sin. Um, This is not a call to remove justice and let evil run rampant. So, like, if you're getting abused, if you're in an awful situation and getting actually hurt violently, you need to get out of that situation. You need to find help. You need to call the cops. You need to do whatever it takes to get away from that situation and get help. But in Scripture, there are plenty of examples in Scripture of saints walking in love and not letting evil just have its way with them. So I'm still answering the question, what is Jesus not saying, right? So Paul used the Roman citizenship that he had to get out of being whipped. So I'm going to go through some examples of Christians that walked in love, but they didn't just let evil just destroy them, right? Uh, In Romans 22, I'm not going to read it, but Paul was uh, arguing with the Sadducees and the Pharisees over the resurrection, and they're ready to kill like, Pull him to pieces, and the centurion guard comes in. They they grab him. They think he's actually some type of rebel, and they're going to whip him and beat him. And he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do that." And they're like, "You're a Roman citizen." And so he, Paul used his citizenship to get out of. He didn't just let somebody beat him. You know, he got out of it. He figured out a way to get out of that. Jesus told his disciples and followers to flee to another town when they were persecuted. So in Matthew ten twenty three. Jesus says, when they persecute you in, one, in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So he's telling them, don't just let them kill you. Get away. Get out of the situation. Jesus told his disciples that now that he was going to his father to now carry a sword. In Luke 22, 35 through 37, he says, when I sent you out, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. Then he said to them, but now he who has money bag, let him take it. And likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. So Jesus told his disciples, carry a sword. Why would he tell them to do that? To cut fish? No, they have fish and knives to do that, right? No, it was to, it was to protect themselves. It was to uh, act as a deterrent. You know, um, we are instructed to defend uh, the weak, the poor, and the fatherless and widows. In Psalm sixty eight five it says, "A father, God is a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows." Is God in His holy habitation? In Isaiah one seventeen, it says, "Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow." So we're instructed to defend. The weak, the lowly, those that need help. Not to just let people get walked all over. Um, God instituted governing authorities for a reason. Right? He gave us police and military and governments and judges for a reason. Romans 13, one through 4 Paul says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So God instituted uh, governments for a reason, uh, police, military, all these things for our protection. Um, and, and listen to the actual law of the eye for an eye that Jesus is talking of. Um, you can find it in Exodus 21, you can find it in Leviticus 24, but I'm going to read it from Deuteronomy nineteen fifteen through 21. It says, A single witness shall not appear in a trial against a man for any wrong or any sin which he has committed, only on the testimony of Or evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be confirmed. If a malicious witness rises up against a man to falsely accuse him of wrongdoing. Then both parties to the controversy shall stand before the Lord. Before the priests and the judges who will be in office at that time. The judges shall investigate thoroughly. And if the witness is a false witness and he has accused his brother falsely. Then you shall do to him just as he... Had intended to do to his brother. So you shall remove the evil from among you. Those who remain will hear and be afraid and will never again do such an evil thing among you. You shall not show pity to the guilty one. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So God was instituting governmental justice because of evil, consequences for sins to deter people from committing evil. He was establishing equitable justice. So the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth is not bad. It's a good thing. We need it in our, gov- in, our, in our world. And God gave Israel the whole book of the law to guide them as a holy nation to protect them and to keep them from sin and letting evil run rampant. So in Romans seven twelve it says, therefore the law is holy and the command... This is Paul. Therefore the law is holy, the commandment is holy and just and good. So if Jesus wasn't saying that the law was bad to be done away with, and that boundaries and justice are still good, what was he saying, right? And so to understand what Jesus is saying, we actually have to go back to the eye for an eye that we just read about a moment ago here, and we have to look at how God gave the law. When God gave the law to Moses, the ways and guidelines on how to live our daily lives in a godly manner, you can see it was given in three ways. So if you go back and read, like, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these these books, you'll see that the law was divided into three sections. The moral law, the ceremonial law, and the civil law. Now, it's not actually segmented like that, but as you read through it, this is what you will gather. So the moral law is a law which reflects God's character and his design in the world. What is good and evil? Examples of this law, of these laws would include commands regarding uh, murder, um, children honoring their mothers and fathers, adultery, you know, the Ten Commandments, okay? Uh, Then there's a ceremonial law, which was laws that, uh, the way that God wanted Israel to worship him, and these applied to Israel in the temple. And so uh, there's a whole section, there's a lot of those. And then the civil law. And the civil law was kind of what we read with, was actually what we just read with the eye for an eye. But all nations must have civil laws to help deal with disputes between their citizens as well as to enforce the morals of the people. And so we see three different uh, segments of the law. The law for an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was given as a civil law. Okay? It was given as a governmental law for people. However, the people of Israel took the law out of context and they made it personal. They became their own judges and abandoned the law of mercy and the law of love that God also gave them. So Jesus had to address this. God wanted his people to not be like the rest of the world, but like him. He wanted them to love first. You know, God is love, and because he is love, he is also just. But his justice follows his love, right? We need to love first. Um, God's justice always follows the fact that God is love. Um, listen to Leviticus 9. I have a lot of scripture, so hope you don't mind. But scripture is the way I go, yeah. So Leviticus 19, 11 through 18. It's, I, I love when, I, when you go back to the Old Testament and you read this stuff because you're going to start to hear in this this. This section of scripture uh, what we're reading now in the Sermon on the Mount. Like Jesus, you know, a lot of people, I've heard a lot of Christians in my life say, you know what, I don't really go to the Old Testament anymore. I just live in the New Testament. And that's that's well and good. But Jesus preached the Old Testament. He preached what he gave to the people. There's so much information and so much uh, help. That we need, And there's so much prophecy in the Old Testament that if we abandon it and only live in the New Testament, we miss out on tons of stuff. We lose clarity on the Scripture of what Jesus is actually talking about. And so we need to live in the New Testament, but we also need to live in the Old Testament. You need to read the Old Testament. You will understand the New Testament way better when you read the Old Testament. And so... Leviticus 19, 11 through 18 says, You shall not steal, nor deal deceptively, nor lie to one another. You shall not swear an oath, falsely, didn't we just talk about that, uh, by my name. So as to, prof- as to profane the name of, the, of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not oppress or exploit your neighbor, nor rob him. You shall not withhold the wages of a hired man overnight until morning. You shall not curse a deaf man, nor put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall not fear... I'm sorry, but, I'm sorry uh, but you shall fear your God with profound reverence. I am the Lord. You shall not do in dust, injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor show a preference for the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. You shall not go around as a gossip, gossip among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor with slander or, or false testimony. I am the Lord. Now listen to this in verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You may most certainly rebuke your neighbor. How many have offered a rebuke? <laughs> but you shall, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take revenge nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. But you shall love your neighbor, your acquaintance, your associate, your companion, as yourself, I am the Lord. Isn't that what Jesus taught us? To love your neighbor. Where did he get that from? From what he had already said in Leviticus. When we take personal revenge against someone, we incur sin because of them. We've become just like them. I became like the guy I was driving behind. I became him. When I start to hate, when I respond to someone who has just hated me with the same type of hatred back towards them, I have killed them in my heart. I have become a murderer. And I don't want to be a murderer. Right? This is sin. And the important thing to remember in that passage we just read read is the word revenge. Jesus never said we can't defend ourselves if harm is coming to us. He didn't say not to have boundaries, as we just talked about. He said to not take revenge and to love. Self-defense is not revenge. It is protecting yourself and getting out of the situation. Revenge is enacting vengeance with with hatred. It is the desire to inflict and harm one another. Whether they deserve it or not, a person acting in revenge is not functioning from love. This is not God's heart. So Jesus was saying to choose love and mercy over revenge. That's what Jesus was talking about in this passage. To be like our Heavenly Father. To choose love first. To choose mercy. Our God is a God of love and mercy. who is slow to anger. How many remember the story of Jonah? You know, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh to warn the people of Nineveh that they were going to be destroyed by God. ...because of their sin. And Nineveh was Israel's enemy. Okay? And Noah didn't... Or, uh, Noah, Jonah didn't want to go. He wanted an eye for an eye. He wanted them to be destroyed. And we know it. Because in Jonah 4.2, he says... So he prayed to the Lord and said... Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country... Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. That's the type of God that we have. That's the type of God who we're supposed to be like. So, Jesus had to make things very clear for Israel when he was preaching to them this passage. Because the things got so out of hand that they were using an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth to over petty issues. So if someone slaps you on the right cheek, meaning insults you, like we, like we talked about, in some way, whether with words or even with a degrading slap, how many remember the Will Smith, Chris Rock issue? <laughs> it's a degrading slap, right? I mean they started verbally fighting, you know, in the audience, and then he gets up and he does that famous, like, slap. And wow, right? That's a degrading slap. Okay. Um, Jesus is telling us, don't respond back with the same evil. Don't insult them back. Just let it go. Show mercy and walk away. If someone sues you for your tunic, your clothing, your shirt... Then give him your jacket. Think about how petty it is that someone was suing somebody for their clothes. How many, petty, how many watch like Judge Judy? I, I really hate that show. But like some of that stuff is so petty. Like, I'm suing this person for $250. It's like give me a break. Right? Jesus is saying do not worry about it. Show them mercy and give them your jacket too. Show them love. Uh, you might talk about it next week, Pastor Jason. But you know, loving your enemy is like heaping hot coals on their head. Jesus said, like, if you want to get back at them, love them, because they're like, wait, what? You know, don't act petty and foolish. If a centurion commands you to carry his things for a mile, so when Jesus is saying, if someone compels you to walk a mile, go with them too. This was a situation where Roman centurions were able to just walk up to a person and say, hey, you're going to carry my things for a mile. And Jesus is saying, rather than complain and worry about it, just walk it and go two miles. Love them. You know? If someone is asking you repeatedly for something that you are able to provide and wants to borrow from you, and it's in your capacity to do it, then do it generously. This doesn't mean to let people continuously take advantage of you. This doesn't, it, it, it means you can still have boundaries and guidelines for borrowing. So if someone wants to borrow something very valuable from you, you don't have to give them your most valuable possessions. Like if, some, if you bought a new tractor and your neighbor comes over and is like, hey, can I use your new tractor to mow my lawn? You can say no. <laughs> but <laughs> to be generous you could say, how about I mow it for you today? You know? How about I help you fix your tractor so that way you can mow your lawn? Okay? The point is to live generous, lovingly, and with mercy towards all people, including your enemies. So how do you actually prepare, how do we actually prepare ourselves to live a life of love and mercy over taking revenge? Because, honestly, we laugh, but sometimes the petty things are what bother us the most. Petty things do have a way of getting to you. In my last job, man, there was this guy, this older gentleman who was just stuck in that like cycle of I'm just living for retirement, life sucks, you know, work stinks, and I'm gonna be mean to everybody. And he'd just come around and make some stupid comment, and I would it would make me so mad. And I'm like, wait, why am I getting angry over this guy? This guy is obviously not healthy inside. In every single aspect of his life. Um, I can't let little things get to me. But they do. They get to us. So how do we actually do this? We need to remember some things. I'm going to talk about four things quickly. <clears throat> First one, we need to remember that the only difference between us and our enemy is Jesus. Okay? So these things are just... There's a whole list of things on how to love you know, in Scripture. Ways to prepare our hearts and... And uh, we're going to talk more about it next week, I'm sure. How to love our enemies. But we really need to remember this one. Um, this is easy to, easy to forget um, and not want to think about. But before Jesus, we were our enemy, right? We were enemies of God. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death. We deserve death. We were enemies of God. And Jesus came and loved us while we were his enemies. Every one of us is capable. This is an important statement. Every one of us is capable of the most evil of sins. We don't like to think that. Um, But to think that we are not is prideful. And pride goes before the fall. Proverbs 16, 18. Think about Peter the Apostle. Jesus said, You know, on this night, you're going to deny me three times. He's like, I don't think so. I'm the Apostle Peter. I've been following you for three and a half years. I've seen you do all your miracles. I believe in you. And then he's going to die. Jesus is getting ready to be crucified and taken captive. And what does Peter do? He denies Jesus three times in a moment of weakness. It's it's very simple. So we must maintain a humble spirit when we encounter those who, we, who would hate us and treat us with contempt because we were sinners too. And if we aren't careful, we can fall back into that sin. Remember, remembering who we are, who we were without Christ, will soften our hearts to love those around us and who treat us with contempt. Next thing, we need to remember that vengeance is the Lord's alone, not ours. <clears throat> Exodus thirty-two thirty-five says, Vengeance is mine. In recompense, their, their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. Romans 12, 19, Paul says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. When we don't respond to someone who is treating us with contempt, we are giving place for the Lord to defend us. We are giving place for the Lord to protect us. <clears throat> As I mentioned earlier, uh, we are hardwired for justice. And, um, you know, we want it now, right? We want everything now, including justice. And this is a big thing because it, because we want justice, when we don't see justice happening, we can get afraid. And so we want to take matters into our own hands. But vengeance is not ours to take. And um, we just really need to hold on to that. I, this, this is an important one. Vengeance is the Lord, because listen, as the days get darker, people are going to want to hate us more as followers of Jesus. Uh, we see it in happening with Israel, right, and all the anti-Semitism. Um, there is going to be opportunity for us to want to take vengeance, and so we need to not do that. We need to rely on the fact that Jesus is the only one that has the authority to to do to avenge us. Luke twelve five says that we should fear Him, because uh, it says. I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say fear him. We need to let the Lord. The Lord is the one who has all authority and power. We need to rely on him. And we must take comfort in knowing that at the right time, God is going to bring about vengeance. I take comfort in that. When I see all the evil in the world, all the things that I really can't do anything about, All the things that are happening that we don't see. You know, God sees everything. He sees every single thing. Every child that's being abducted. You know, he sees everything that's done in secret. He knows all the things that the governments are trying to do in secret. Everything. Nothing is hidden from him. And I take comfort in knowing that our God is just. And that he is going to avenge us. In Deuteronomy 32... That whole chapter is the Song of Moses, and that whole chapter is prophetic. It speaks of the return of Jesus and how he's going to deliver Israel and all of his saints and set up his kingdom on the earth. Um, So if you're wondering, you know, you can go all the way back to Enoch. You see prophecy about the Lord returning and avenging us. But I take comfort in this passage. Listen to what it says. It sounds, well, just listen. It says, now I now see that, so the Lord is speaking. Even I am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and make alive. I wound and I heal. Nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. For I raise my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, if I wet my sword, <clears throat> if I wet my glittering sword, and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the heads of the leaders of the army. Rejoice, O Gentiles, that's you and me. With his people, that's Israel, for he will, save, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. We need to take comfort in knowing that there is a day of the Lord coming. When all evil will be put away. And if we can hold on to that, it helps us to not take uh, enmity against our, our neighbor. Also check out Psalm 37. I'm not going to read that. But that whole thing is about do not fret when you see evil happening. Trust the Lord that he's going to avenge you. Number three, remember that we are ambassadors of Christ. 2 Corinthians five eighteen through 21 says, Now all things are of God. Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are on this earth to represent Jesus. We are his ambassadors. This world is not our kingdom right now. Our kingdom is heaven. We are his servants on this earth operating as his ambassadors to show the love of Jesus to people who are dying, who are lost, who are broken, who are going to hell. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We may be the only example of Jesus Christ that someone ever encounters. We need to think about that. Revenge, retaliation, and unforgiveness have never led anyone to Christ. Say that again. Revenge, retaliation, and unforgiveness have never led anyone. Christ so it is love and mercy that softens and prepares a person's heart to receive the truth of Jesus Christ so when you do get insulted and someone is hurting you and you respond with love to them they may respond back to you again with evil but your love is a seed that is planted and at just the right moment God can water that seed through somebody else and they'll think, oh, I remember that guy. I spit in his face and he didn't do anything back to me. And he said, Jesus loves you. You know, it softens people's hearts. It prepares the ground for them to receive Jesus. And so we need to operate as ambassadors for Christ. That way we do not run in vain. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians nine twenty four through 27, Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself shall become disqualified. When we operate... In a way of retaliation and revenge, we are risking disqualification. Fourth thing we need to remember is the reward. I don't have this on the screen, but take a read through Revelation 2 through 3. When you remember the reward for enduring hardship as a follower of Jesus, it strengthens us to love and show mercy. I'm going to read, he, he spoke to seven churches, to the seven churches, In this passage of Revelation, I just want to read the things that are our rewards, okay? They're not on the screen, but it's in Revelation 2 and 3. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. This is the tree of life that Adam and Eve experienced. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone. And on that stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. God's going to give you a name that only you and him know. I love that. I love names. He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. As I have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. For those of us who overcome and walk like Jesus and remember this reward, you know, he's gonna, we're going to rule and reign with him in the new kingdom. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. Did you know every person's name in the whole world was written in the book of life. But because we as people choose to turn away from God, the names get blotted out. He will not blot our name out. He says, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God. So it looks like we're all going to have tattoos, guys. And the name of the city of my God. So you're going to get two tattoos. The new Jerusalem. Which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. Oh, that's three tattoos. Okay. okay. To him who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Also, as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Think about that. There is going to come a time when Jesus returns. He you know, will sit with him. On his throne, what kind of honor is he bestowing upon us that we do not deserve? This is powerful stuff. Okay, so why is this so important? I mentioned a little bit the Israel-Hamas situation, um, and I've been—I jumped on to. You know, it's hard to find the right like news that's actually accurate. So I hopped on to X, which was formerly Twitter, and there's a number of different people I follow that actually live in Israel, that are accustomed with everything going on in the Middle East, and I try to get my news from them. Well, there's this one uh, commentary on there where this, <clears throat> this profile, they would always post their, the pictures of the terrorists that were being killed. And <clears throat> I started to, like, you know, how you heart the thing, it's like, oh, heart, heart you know because you're you're liking the post is what you're doing but i started to find myself excited like oh my enemy is being killed and the lord had to get a hold of me because that is not okay it's not okay to rejoice in the death of the wicked Ezekiel 33,11 says, God says, uh, say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? The Lord does not delight in the death of the wicked. And I found myself as I was watching, delighting in the death of the wicked. There's a fine line. Of We want justice on this earth. But I, none of us should rejoice over our, our enemy. It's okay to want justice. I mean, the Bible says when, when the wicked king is removed, the righteous rejoice. And we will rejoice when evil is removed. But we need to really check our hearts. In this day, right now, as things get worse, as we get closer to Jesus, and the opportunity to hate becomes greater and greater, we need to make sure our hearts are steadfast on the love and mercy of Jesus and that we are loving our neighbor and not rejoicing in their death because when I saw the pictures of some of these guys and they were smiling and I looked at them I was like you know what they have a great smile and they're never going to smile again they're going to suffer for the rest of eternity and that is a terrible thought so let us love our neighbor let us not respond with retaliation Amen. So let's just close our eyes and Um, I guess, uh, Sydney, if you want to hop back up here quick, just take a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit right now what are you speaking to me? Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me in this message? What are you speaking to me? Are we walking in love towards our neighbor? Is there a situation right now in your life that you need to surrender to the Lord? To release and forgive someone? To get rid of a grudge? To Stop responding to with anger and in similar way that they've responded to you. Just let the Lord speak to you Father we just come before you and offer ourselves to you. Speak to our hearts, Lord. May we always remember your love and faithfulness to us, that you have never left us, that you have never forsaken us, that you loved us while we were still your enemies, and that you did not desire to show your vengeance upon us, but you sent Jesus so that way we could have eternal life and know you, Father. Lord, cleanse us of our sins of not walking in love in any way, for retaliating, for wanting revenge and taking it at any moment. Father, forgive us. Lord, and do a work in all of our hearts to prepare us for the everyday situations we face and for the days ahead that are coming to this world, that we would be light in a dark place, that our joy and our peace would be completely centered on you, That we would be able to love when it is very hard. That we would be able to care when it is very hard. That we'd be able to walk away when someone is accusing us and defaming us and trying to harm us, oh God. Help us to love and be generous, to be kind, to be your ambassadors, Lord. That we would not be disqualified in any way as we run our, way, run our race with you and follow you, Jesus. While your eyes are closed, I just also want to encourage all of us that the Lord has placed us on this earth for this day and this hour for a reason. And we can do this as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can love in a powerful way and show people the love of Jesus, we can be his ambassadors. We can walk just like him. So just take a moment and just tell the Lord, I want to walk like you. I want to shine for you. I want to be your ambassador. I do not want to run and be disqualified. Praise you, Jesus. Last thing I want to do today is if you have never begun a relationship with Jesus, the Bible says the wages of sin is death and all of us are sinners. All of us deserve death. But as we talked about through this message, Jesus came to die for our sins so we would not have to die but could have eternal life and become his, become the Father's children and become family with the God of all creation and he wants you and if you've never turned to Jesus if you would like to turn to Jesus today just raise your hand or you can come up and see me um, and those of us up here for prayer and we will lead you into that relationship with Jesus but know this that God loves you that he cares for you that he wants you he did not call you to be living in shame as we talked about earlier, but in life and in peace and in your true identity as a son and daughter of God. And he loves you. He just so much loves you. So, All right, Father, we praise you and we thank you for this word. We thank you for speaking to our hearts. Lord, let this uh, penetrate our hearts and minds this week. May we be thinking about this. Lord God, and walking in love as your ambassadors, Lord, and also remembering the reward that you have for us, Lord. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. A little later than normal, but have an awesome day. We'll see you next week.